0: Morning, everybody. That is Promontory Heights Elementary School, and that last image you saw is what's happening right now. Um, since the first Sunday of September, uh, Central Community Church has a promontory campus, and uh, they set up this gymnasium and an elementary school to be a place uh, for the church to gather up on the hill there. We also have a campus in Agassiz, that do pretty much the exact same thing, set up an agricultural hall in Agassiz every Sunday morning. Been doing it for four years. And right now, they too are gathered. So if you're newer to Central, here's what that is. We are one church, um, but we meet in multiple locations. But we have one common mission, vision, and common values. And this fall, we've been working our way through... um, these values, been teaching through them because we really believe that that we can really only be a church that value what we state we do if every person in the church um, hold these as values. We don't want them to just simply be written on a um, put on a wall or put on a website. We want to embody these values together. And so we're praising God for what He's doing in our midst. Uh, even yesterday, we had a work project going on at Lake Iraq, which is um, a, a really a church building that was given to us by the, the conference and a remnant of people there uh, and that uh, God has really been calling us to plant another campus there. So in 2018, we will be able to go to this beautiful little part of uh, the Fraser Valley um, called Lake Iraq. There is no other church within 40 minutes of it, and uh, this building is there, and a number of you helped in doing some renovations to it yesterday, and that is just amazing. And so we see God working, um, really growing us by sending us, and we're good with that. Uh, And so we're praising God for working in our midst that way. In terms of these values I was mentioning that we hold in common and being one church that meet in, in many different places... Um, We really want these to be the values that we hold, which means that that we don't just think that they might be right. We want to live them, believe them, because what we love most, value most, is is how we will live. And so we're, we're calling ourselves in this series to live with these common values, and therefore when the church gathers, we will value them. The first thing we said, just to recap where we've been, is that we desire to be a church centered on the gospel. The apostle Paul summarized all of his preaching this way. We preach Christ crucified. And and the way that that worked itself out was it was a stumbling block to Jews. They got stuck on it. And it was folly, utter foolishness to non-Jews, to Gentiles. But to those in the church, those who have received Christ, it's the power of God. It's this recognition that we need to be centered on the gospel because it's, what's tra- it's what changes our lives. It's, it's what makes us Christian and it's what can bring transformation to us and others. And so we live there, we stay there, we're centered on that. All we do, all of our ministry, we desire that it be centered on the gospel so that life change can happen. Then we said we too want to be a church rooted in the Bible. To summarize that really briefly, it's saying we don't take our cues from the cultural moment or the cultural norms. We take our cues from the scriptures. And so what that means for us is we believe that the Bible's true and that it's trustworthy and that in it we can discover who God really is, what we are actually like, who Jesus is and what he has done and how we can live in response to that great message of redemption. And so we, we root ourselves in the Bible because we actually think that that's um, what is truth. Thirdly, um, we value being gathered in community. I mean, here we are, gathered, and why state it? Well, I think in this time and in all times, it's really important that we state that there is great importance in being the church gathered, a local church that meet together. Because the temptation is always to say, the institutional or this organization, I, I don't want to be a part of it, or they're a bunch of hypocrites, or the church get it wrong, or I, it's just me and Jesus. There, there's always a temptation to, to, to shift gears and to go that route. And we're saying, no, no, no. Being gathered in, in community is absolutely biblical and critical we need each other. And so in, in uh, following through on Acts chapter 2, we value gathering, uh, the large gathering, the crowd, where they would meet every week in the temple courts and also in the small gathering, meeting in homes together. And so we value doing both of those things. The large gathering where we primarily come to worship God and and to connect on a grand scale, but then walking with each other in life in the smaller venues that we can create in ministry. We value that because we actually need each other. It's one of the Um, means of grace, you could say, that God gives us. He says, I'm giving you my church so that you can be encouraged. You can be edified. Others can help you in your walk. We need that. Then last week, we talked about being empowered by the Spirit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do some things. No, wait a minute. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. A big fat zero. Your best without me is utterly useless. What does that do to your ego, right? Your best is nothing. It's useless. Nothing of eternal value comes from us doing busy work. But a people committed to Jesus, a people empowered by his spirit, he will use that to bear much fruit that will have lasting eternal value. And we say, yeah, we want to, to be a part of that. So it's believing that every single person who gives their life to Jesus is gifted by the Spirit to have a part to play, and we think that is incredibly valuable. Next week, we're going to conclude this series with the final value of being sent on mission. But this morning, we are looking at the value of being e- for ministry. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn it to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible and you're new to the Bible, feel free to use the table of contents. That's all good. Find that. It's near the end of the Bible. It's one of the New Testament letters. We have Bibles around that we love giving away. They're in the top corners and just outside the doors. Happy to give one of those to you. And finally, it will also be on the screen. Here is Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to root ourselves this morning in verses 11 through 13. It says this, God's word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is the text that we will look at this morning from the Word of God. Let me just start by giving you some definitions because we just saw in verse 11 that he, that he that's Jesus, he's just said that he gives many gifts. In verse 7 it says, but grace was given to each one, every believer, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jesus is distributing gifts to the ch- church according to his plan, goes on to say, and he gave in the midst of the gift giving, he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So let's just define what those are from the get-go. So to talk about a pro, uh, an uh, apostle, we kind of need to talk in the, br- in the broad sense and in the narrow sense. Uh, what I mean by that is that kind of more technical narrow sense of apostle is that apostle refers to the twelve the 12 New Testament apostles. 11 disciples, right? 12 minus Judas, add in the apostle Paul who was called by Jesus as well. So in a technical narrow sense, apostle refers to the 12 and defined this way, we don't have apostles anymore. There are no apostles like the 12 we see in the New Testament. The ministry that they had was unique and it does not carry on. If you come across somebody and they're out there, people who will say, I'm an apostle in like the capital A apostle sense, equal to the apostles in scripture and my reinterpretations count and all those kinds of things, run. Grab your stuff and run, okay? They're giving you an easy pass to say to... You're a heretic, right? Like, so that's just not the case. We don't have apostles like that anymore who can uh, reinterpret scripture, who can tell you a new word, that, like, all those kinds of things that are a continuation of the Bible. We don't have apostles like that anymore. And yet, that being said, we still use the word apostle in a more broad sense. This, this more apostolic gifting, you could say. And in the broad sense, we would see it as simply what it means, sent one or messenger, uh, sometimes it's used in reference to pioneer missionaries, just as the apostles like Thomas to India and um, Paul to places like the Roman world, Gentile world. These apostles went proclaiming the good news in this pioneer frontier missionary kind of work as these heralds. And in that sense, um, we, 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 we have apostles today who, who do this pioneer missionary messenger sent one kind of work. Then we have prophets. Also, again, in the broad and narrow sense, there are biblical prophets in the Old Testament. We can read about them. Prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jonah and New Testament prophets. We don't have those anymore. So in the narrow sense, we don't have prophets like the ones in the Bible recorded as scripture for us. Yet in the more general sense, those who apply God's word to God's people do something of a prophetic ministry. And like we said last week in giftings, also believe that there can be more of a a spontaneous prophetic gifting, which is speaking a truth in a situation given by God to people. Now that always needs to be tested by scripture and submitted under scripture. And so in that regard, prophecy continues. I actually believe that as a preacher preaches God's word and it convicts a heart, there's a prophetic ministry going on there. God's word to God's people doing a work. Thirdly, we see in the list evangelists. Now, uh, those, uh, when it's listed like this, an evangelist as a gift, it's those gift particularly gifted in proclaiming the gospel. Right? They, they have the gift. They're constantly telling people about Jesus in effective ways that's bearing fruit and connecting with people who don't know Jesus. They're gifted evangelists. Now, everyone is called to evangelize. Every believer is, but some are uniquely gifted in it. Then, uh, we have uh, pastors and teachers. But uh, in many cases, it's viewed as a connected role of pastor-teacher to be understood alongside shepherd, overseer, bishop, elder. These are interchangeable words in the New Testament. The connection with teaching suggests that these pastors were some of or all of the elders who carried on the work of teaching. So at Central... We have vocational pastors and non-vocational pastors or vocational elders and non-vocational ones. We, our, our, our board of elders we would, are just unpaid pastors. Uh, that's how we use the terminology here. So we, we see that going on. In addition to teaching, pastors shepherd the flock, which includes nurture and defending and protecting and knowing and sacrificing for the flock. Pastors, elders are tasked with shepherding the sheep. And included in that, as we see in our text this morning, is the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're hearing something of their purpose, their role, why those with those gifts are given in the church for what ends. The focus of verse 11 is on those gifted in, in the articulating the gospel, teaching the word, and shepherding God's people. Among the gifts Jesus has given in the church are people gifted in articulating the gospel and ministering the word of God. But the ends are that everyone could be equipped for ministry. So I don't think this will come as news to some of you, but, I, but at the same time, I think it will kind of come as a bit of a paradigm shift For others of us. And so I'm going to kind of show two angles of a paradigm shift here. The first part of the paradigm shift is this. Leaders in the church, these roles we see in verse 11, leaders equip believers for the work of ministry. That's why they are given to the church. And so we want to kind of shift the paradigm here a little bit. The role of leaders in the church is not to do the work of ministry for the church. But to equip the church for the work of ministry. The backwards but common view is that we pay the pastor to do the ministry. And our role is to support him in his ministry. Right? So th- we come at it that way a lot, right? I, and, and I get that sense from the language sometimes that, that gets used is the sense of supporting the pastor in the ministry. Now, listen. I've noticed around the church building that there are some signs from the elders that say it's Pastor Appreciation Month. Please keep that coming. I love that, okay? Don't stop. It's very kind of you. You're being, especially the words of affirmation are, please, my email is Matt. Okay, carry on. But listen, uh, listen, um, we are all called to ministry. The role of the pastor is to equip others for the work of ministry. So what we often do that, The temptation is, if I put something in the offering plate, I can kind of kick back my feet and say, we paid him to do it. We're paying him to do it. You can do that. We'll take your money. We'll accept that. Um, But it's actually being unfaithful to the word of God, which says you don't just put money in the offering plate and then let the pastor do the work. You're actually putting money in the offering plate for a number of reasons, first of all, that goes a number of places But the role of the pastor in the church is to help you effectively be equipped to do the ministry. Now, I've said this word equipped and equipping a few times. Let me just give you a couple contexts for it. Actually, it shows up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, where there are fishermen mending nets. And the word used there actually is the same word used here for equipping, meaning in that context, it is for fixing what is broken. The equipping is fixing what is broken. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, the word shows up again. But in this instance, it's it's in reference to supplying something that is lacking. So these teachers in the church are to lead in such a way that what is broken gets repaired and what's lacking gets supplied through the loving, faithful ministry of the word. I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning. I exist to equip you for the work of ministry. I exist to equip you to minister. You don't pay me so you can relinquish your God-given gifts and responsibility. Sometimes I'll say it this way. When I became a pastor, I left the ministry, right? I became a pastor, and when I did that, I left the ministry. And here's what I mean by that. Because when I became a pastor, I took on the role of equipping others to do the work of ministry. Now, of course, none of us stop doing the work of ministry, but it's a way for us to reorient, to, to kind of shift the paradigm a little bit, to see things rightly, to see things faithfully to a text like this that says, actually, the role of the leader in the church is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. It's not only churches that need to understand this rightly, but pastors too. There is a shift that needs to take place from being a minister of the gospel to becoming an equipper of gospel ministers. Huge difference. So I see over and over and over again in ministry, pastors running around like chickens with their heads cut off. I've got a minister over here. I've got to do this over here. I've got to do this. I've got to serve these people. They need this. They need this. These people are asking for this. They need that. And just trying to do all of the work of ministry because they feel guilty or feel like they're the ones who are supposed to do it all. But that's not the case at all. They're put in that place to equip everybody to go about doing it all. And there's a huge shift when we see it that way. To the point we have failed to do that effectively in our church, equip everybody for ministry, those who lead at Central have failed in our God-given role of leadership in our church. And we need to evaluate that regularly. To the point that we have failed to make everybody equipped to minister, your leaders in your church have failed you. And we're in the midst of evaluating that right now. It's one of the reasons why our leadership labs and our preaching labs are springing up this year is because we're trying to equip everyone to do the work of ministry. Why? Because we've all been called to it. And look, our language doesn't help sometimes too. I hear this all the time. You've probably heard it before too. Someone will say, I'm discerning if I have a call into ministry. Or, pastor, I think I'm called into ministry. And I'm usually like, Like, stop discerning. You are. (laughs) I think I might be called to ministry. Yes. Yes, you are. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. You're called to ministry. Easy, done, over. Like, I get it. Our language falls short. Sometimes what we're saying is I feel like maybe I'm supposed to come on staff at a church and give myself full time to the equipping work of helping everybody minister. I hope that's what we mean. Bill Hybels is uh, the lead pastor of, uh, fam- kind of a famous uh, megachurch pastor in the States. The church is called Willow Creek in the Chicago area. And uh, we're really kind of the, 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 the poster church for the seeker-sensitive movement that was really predominant in the 90s or, or had a, a major effect on many, many churches in the 90s and early 2000s. And the idea there was, and I, I love the heart around it, was let's not use really churchy language. Let's, let's use really plain language so that anybody could understand. We want to be hospitable to newcomers. I love that. I share that, um, that, that view of everything should be understandable. Um, they, they took it further and said there's things that are kind of offensive, like the cross. So let's not have a cross in the sanctuary. Oh, and while we're at it, let's not call it a sanctuary. That's kind of a churchy word. Let's call it a worship center because that's less weird, right? I don't know, uh, and so, but, but giving intentional thought and trying to be real, like, make it all understandable, the idea was that you could bring people who don't believe in Jesus, who are exploring faith, and they could really grasp what's going on and kind of get an on-ramp there, and I love that heart, but what they discovered was that everything they did ended up only being about an inch deep. Um, To their credit, they invited a research firm to come spend time observing everything they did in their church a few years back. We're talking about over 30,000 people coming to weekend services. We're talking about midweek ministries with hundreds, with thousands of people coming. And at the end of their time, the research firm ultimately said this, nothing you're doing is producing or growing disciples. Nothing. Nothing. And Bill Hybels, to his credit, repented of the way that they had approached all of their ministry. But listen to what he says. I shared this at our leadership lab a few weeks ago. Bill Hybels said, we made a mistake. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, listen, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people taught people how to read their Bibles. The great failure, he's saying, is that we never taught people to swim for themselves. So they they needed to come and be fed, and we were the only ones who could feed them. And when we fed them, we just kept giving them milk, and kept giving them milk, and kept giving them milk. And we failed. Listen, we want to be a church full of people, Filled to the brim with people equipped for the work of ministry. Amen. Second element, the the, the 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 byproduct of that, the paradigm shift, kind of the second view of it here is if the leaders equip believers for the work of ministry, then ultimately all believers, secondly, do the work of ministry. Now, when I say the word ministry, here's what I mean it means to serve. It could also mean this. Work done by one or a group that benefits another. Work done by one or a group that benefits another. So when we serve each other, it's actually meant to be to the benefit of the one we're serving, right? Makes sense. And so ministry is meant to serve and help be beneficial to others. Jesus, our Savior, the one we worship, the one who came to redeem he showed up and he actually declared, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Now this is the savior of the world. This is who we put our faith in. This is the king of kings and the lord of lords. There's no one greater than Jesus. And he shows up and says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And at his the last supper, the night he was betrayed, he actually took his long flowing robe and Pulled the bottom part of it and stuffed it into his belt, and that was actually taking on the posture of a servant. He was dressed to serve, and then he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet, and he looks at his disciples and says, You should do the same. You should have the same posture. You should dress the same way. You should be about ministry. And then Jesus takes it even further, right? The next day, Jesus goes on to be crucified for us. Jesus came to serve so much so that he lay his life down for us. He lay his life down so we could live. He died so that we could have life. That's Jesus. That's the ministry of Jesus. And so when we approach something like this that that these 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 gifts, these roles are given in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, what I want you to see is not just tasks that need to get done dutifully, right? Or like with kind of guilt or like I'm supposed to, but we're supposed to see the kind of servant Jesus was and in grateful response, worshipfully serve him and others in light of his glorious grace. So what is the work of ministry? It's to serve and it's to bring the message of the gospel with you wherever you go. Peter, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, 9 said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Peter, before Jesus showed up on the scene, was a good Jew. He knew what priests were. He knew that they came from one particular tribe of Israel and were only a portion of the people within the tribe of Israel and that there were very specific rituals and it was a very detailed process that these priests were supposed to go through. It was kind of very set apart. Peter, who understood that rightly, shatters the category here when he says, You are, speaking to all believers, a royal priesthood. You're all priests now. It shattered their categories. And to be honest, I think it's time. I think we need to hear it again. I think it needs to shatter our categories all over again too. You are a royal priesthood. You're a priest. You're a minister. That's You in Jesus, every Christian, a minister. I love our church. I love our church. I I love Central so much. I'm constantly encouraged by you. I hear stories every week of the ways God's working in and through you. I'm blown away by you. I'm inspired by you. I love this church. But being who I am, every once in a while, I have dark moments and uh, uh, moments of... uh, Of harsh self-reflection and things like that. Once in a while, once in a blue moon, this isn't the routine, but once in a while I kind of feel like a quarterback, not in an athletic sense, but in an illustrative sense, okay? Once in a while I feel like a quarterback calling the team in for the huddle. Come on, everybody in, all of you, all of you come into the huddle. All of us are coming into the huddle right now and we're huddling and I call the play. Here's the play, everybody. Here's what we're going to run. Here's everybody's position. You know this play. This is what we're going to do. All right? Everybody ready? And, and even a few of you, after I call the play, are like, I love that play. Hey, I love the way you called that play. When you mentioned that one part uh, in the play, and actually, so, something in my heart, I just, just leapt. I love that. But then everybody goes and sits down on the bench. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, come back, come back, come back. And we all get in the huddle. We get in the huddle again. Here we are in the huddle. Call the play. And then everybody gets up and goes and sits back. This is just in the, my dark moments, right? This isn't the routine. This isn't how we are. Call the play again. And everybody goes and sits down on the bench. And, and eventually I'm just, wait a minute. The only reason why I call the play is that so all of us will run the stinking play. <laughs> don't, no, 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 sit down again. No, literally, stay up, get in your positions, and let's run this play. Now, if I can follow the, the sports illustration down even further, I know most of you are hating this, but one out of four of you are like, yeah. Uh, if I can follow it just a tiny bit more, football team, right? get out of the huddle, not everybody stands ready for the hut. Only the quarterback does. Not everybody stands right on the line of scrimmage. Really, it's only the linebackers that do, right? The running back, if I know my football enough, and the receivers are all starting to work in motion and work their way up. Everybody has their own position. The play has been called. Everybody has a role, and off we go. And the only way that the quarterback doesn't get sacked is if there are 300-pound linemen standing up and blocking for him. Praise God for those who block for the quarterback. Amen. And then there are those who are receivers and and running backs. Look, we're not moving down the field if those members do not play their positions. And so it is in the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, everybody, here we go. Off we all go running the play. Interestingly, two things are going on in the midst of this passage. You and I are lacking in some ways, and therefore we need the church. And yet at the same time, You and I are uniquely gifted by Jesus for ministry, and therefore the church needs us, like us. We all have work of ministry to do because we all have spiritual gifts given to us by Jesus. Fascinating story in Acts chapter 8. Uh, First martyr in the Christian church, Stephen, has been stoned to death. Death, as he's proclaiming the richness and beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ, he's being stoned by an angry mob. And in the very next verse, in Acts 8, verse 1, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Listen closely. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then it goes on to say in verse four, now those who were scattered, not the apostles. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's a fascinating story. Persecution hits the church in Jerusalem and everybody scatters, except the leaders. They're huddling in Jerusalem So as the church at large, the priesthood of all believers are going out into the regions of Judea and Samaria, what are they doing? Preaching the gospel because everyone's a minister. The leaders were still in Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria were hearing the good news through the church. Charles Spurgeon said, I put it to you, my dear hearer, have you been fruitful? Have you been fruitful with your wealth? Have you been fruitful with your talent, with the gifts that God has put in you? Have you been fruitful with them? Have you been fruitful with your time? Goes on to say, what are you doing for Jesus now? If everyone's a minister, if everybody is... God has put gifts into every believer and everyone ministers. What are you doing with that? Are you fruitful? Are you a minister? The church is to be in every member ministry. How are you using the gifts God's given you? How are you serving? Now, That is the charge to leaders in the church, the task of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. But it goes on to talk about some amazing, what we could say are the benefits of every member ministry. I mean, like to what ends, right? These are the outcomes of the paradigm shift. I think a few flow from this text. What's the aim in all of this ministry that all the saints are to be engaged in? It goes on to say the building up of the body of Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Then it goes on to say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're seeing right there, there's, a, there's a, a benefit, there's an outcome of the paradigm shift, and it is our unity. It's interesting. The major theme of Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, is a call to unity in the local church. That's the, really the point of the broader text we're in this morning, unity. And he goes on to say, talk about it as the unity of the faith, which is the personal relationship we each have with Jesus. We're unified on that. We have Jesus in common, which is unbelievable and really binds us together in unity. And unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, which is really understanding all that Jesus did and taught. It's that last part of the Great Commission we usually leave out. We usually say, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and leading them Right? We just kind of like, we fizzle out partway through, but it's teaching them everything I've commanded you. That's Jesus saying that until the end of the age. And that's what's being said here. Unity of the knowledge of the son of God, understanding that all Jesus did and taught, we are unified in our commonality in Christ and our common belief in him. And when we all are unified on mission, shoulder to shoulder in the mission, we are unified. It's usually the observers that are throwing... Grenades, the participants are shoulder to shoulder in the mission of God. Secondly, maturity, until we all attain mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is the aim of our ministry, that the body, the church, the illustration is of a body, the church may be built up to mature manhood. So Paul here is talking about the stature then of the fullness of Christ and talking about the body of a mature man. Exhibit A, right? Strong, um, chiseled. No, not at all. Sickly looking, yes. Okay, Um, all of those things. But what's happening here is Paul sees Jesus as the mature man, right? Until we all attain mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is the mature man, and then he's picturing us as his body, the church, but growing into f- full maturity. Not yet fully mature, but growing into that ma- f- full mature manhood. And so we are to minister with the whole body reaching maturity in view. And so it, it contrasts this mature manhood with Um, talk of children. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The idea is that as we grow in our unity of the faith and our knowledge of the Son, we become mature, discerning, wise, and stable. Finally, the outcomes of the paradigm shift. The third one is Christ likeness to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ultimately, we grow in unity and maturity as we become more Christ like. Like Jesus, we should all wear towels, not bibs. We should all wear towels, not bibs. I love that imagery. Like, what we don't want to happen, and look, if you're new to church, right, don't take offense to this. If you uh, have been in church for a long time, take offense to this. Which is, I don't want to have to come along, you've been in the church for years, put a little bib on you, put you in your high chair, and give you the milkies. Okay? Because that's not the point. The point is that we all attain to maturity, to Christ-likeness, that maturing is what Bill Hybels was repenting of. We didn't help people feed themselves, to have the solid food, to grow in rich depth in their discipleship of Christ. We all need to wear towels and be about serving. Everyone serves. The leaders serve the congregation by preparing them for ministry, by teaching them. The congregations serve one another and others by building up the church and by ministering evangelistically to the world. Outside of the study of the word of God and prayer, my Christian faith has primarily come, grown exponentially in two ways. Through suffering, through the hardships that God has brought into my life or I've brought upon myself, Right? through being refined as through fire, the sufferings that have come in my life have worked to mature me and to grow me in Christlikeness. And the other major rock, I would say, is service. Ministering, feeling ill-equipped like you do, I do as well, feeling ill-equipped but diving in. Testing gifts, using them as I discover them being put in situations over and over again where I have to rely on God more. See, interestingly, as as leaders in the church equip the saints for the work of ministry... All of the saints, all of the believers start to go about working the ministry and at every turn utterly needing to rely on Christ to come through as you step out in faith and risk and leverage and try and fail and ask him to use you. It's through practice. It's through trying it on. It's through believing that everyone's a minister. As we go, he will mature you in your faith if you will just dive into the pool. And we are called to do just that. Every time, as we close here, every time a new pastor uh, starts at Central uh, on staff, we commission them. We bring them up on stage and and we commission them in their role. And and we should because uh, these pastors are charged with shepherding the flock of God among them. That is a tall order. And yet at the same time, we also see in this text that everyone's a minister. So I'm going to do something right now that I'm going to invite you to participate in. So let's start by getting absolutely everybody in the room to stand. If you're able, stand with me, would you? One at a time, we're going to bring you up here, going to hear your story. (laughs) And we're going to commission you. No, we're going to do a mass commissioning. And when we're done in five, ten minutes time here, you're going to walk out a commissioned minister of the gospel of Central Community Church, right? If you're in ministry for the pay, don't get into ministry, right? That's a common rule. You're going to make $0 here, but the eternal value, my friends, significant, okay? You are going to leave here a minister. Now, if you're new to faith, exploring faith, not sure about what's going on here, just observe what's going to happen here. I'm going to ask you some questions as we always do in commissionings, and I'm going to invite you to respond if you are in by saying yes by God's grace, okay? And I'm going to do the biggest commissioning I've ever done. And I'm excited about it because, oh man, do I believe in the gifts that God has entrusted to each one of you. Christian, you have been saved by the grace of God and given a holy calling. To be a Christian means to be a disciple of Jesus. One who learns from Jesus and follows Jesus. So here's a long question. I'll cue you. Will you give yourself to the ongoing commitment of following and learning from Jesus as a growing disciple, not content to only receive spiritual nourishment from others, feeding you with the word, but growing as one who feeds yourself, communing with Jesus in his word and in prayer? As we saw last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to each is given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Every believer with a gift. Are you committed to praying for, discerning, and exercising the gifts God has given you for the good of others inside and outside of the church and to the glory of God? Awesome. Lastly, we saw it this morning in 1 Peter 2 9. You are a royal priesthood. Everyone a priest. Everyone a minister. And as a priest, there is a particular people and a particular place God has called each and every one of you to. So, whatever your occupation, Will you give yourself to ministry as your primary vocation, recognizing that the, that the pastor doesn't do the work of ministry for you, but is one who equips you to be an effective minister of the gospel where God has placed you? Amen. Let me pray over each and every one of you. God, thank you so much for lavishly pouring out your grace upon us. Thank you, Lord, that we can turn to you in faith and receive salvation. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lavishly pour out varied gifts upon your church and that you call us to use those to manifest you to one another and to the watching world. God, I pray that you would make us effective ministers in the world. Lord, I sense the charge in this on myself, which is, Lord, make me a better equipper of saints to do the work of ministry. Would you help us in that as a plurality, as many striving towards that in this church? And Lord, would you make us a church equipped for the work of ministry? I pray that over each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.